You may be seated. Our scripture reading today comes from Galatians um, 3, 4, and 5. Um, If you'd like to join me, you can open your Bibles to Galatians 3. We'll be beginning there. If you do not have a Bible, there is a Red Pew Bible in front of you, and you can follow along using that. I'll begin with Galatians 3.23 and read through chapter 4, verse 7. Before this faith came, we were held prisoners by the law, locked up until faith should be revealed. So the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under the supervision of the law. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. What I am saying is that as long as the heir is a child, he's no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. He is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were children, we were in slavery under the basic principles of the world. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under under law, to redeem those under law that we might receive the full rights of sons. Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. And then turn a page over to chapter 5, and I'll be reading verses 5 and 6. But by faith we eagerly await through which the Spirit, the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith, expressing itself through love. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time. Thank you for this word. Lord, we ask your blessing on this as we talk about what it means to be a son of God, what it means to be an heir. Um, Lord, uh, may the words that I use and may the thoughts that we have and be your expression, Lord, that be your will, your words for us, and that they work on each of us as you would and as you will. And all of this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I apologize right now for, um, if I get a little scratchy with my voice, um, one, I got really excited about the singing this morning, if you couldn't tell, Uh, but two, I spent um, much of the day yesterday, uh, I'm directing um, It's a Wonderful Life with the Byron Civic Theater production, shameless plug, Um, (laughs) but I spent yesterday, it's Tech Saturday, and I spent my day on stage yelling at the sound guy getting his attention, which is about twice as far away as the back wall, and then yelling at actors on stage. So,
So I, uh, I apologize if I'm a little scratchy this morning for that, but I am glad to be here again. I am glad to be uh, sharing God's word with you as I've, as I've expressed every time that I do this. God truly blesses me uh, when, when I preach. He gives me a word. He um, lets me soak myself in it, in, in his word, and I learn so much. But he, as much as he's speaking to any of us, he's speaking to me. Uh, and I'm preaching as much to myself as I am to anybody else here this morning. We have, in the adult Sunday school class, we've been uh, working our way through a, a study called Sonship. And it talks about what it's like to be a son and heir of God. And it uh, is primarily focused on, um, or centered on the scripture passages that we've read this morning, especially from Galatians. Now, if you've you read some of Paul's, uh, the letters that Paul writes, Paul oftentimes is hard to follow. And it's hard to track what he's saying sometimes. Because uh, Paul, Paul kind of goes along and then he, gets, he, he goes off over here and talks about things that uh, it takes a while to study and learn. And sometimes he presupposes, we think, presupposes what he's actually talking about. But we forget, you know, the letters weren't written directly to us. They were written to a church or people alive at that time. And we have to make sure we're putting into context who Paul's writing to and what he's saying to them. But one thing about the book of Galatians, it's pretty clear. Paul makes it very clear what he's writing about and why he's writing to this church. This is a church that Paul founded. This is a church that Paul started. And he preached the gospel to them and they received the good news and they heard it and they believed. This is a church that caught fire and they believed. But something's happened to them. Something has happened that causes him to to write this letter. And it's very clear what that is. If, you, if you've got your Bible still open, and I encourage you to keep them open during um, this, this sermon this morning, look at verse uh, 3-2. Paul says this, This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? And then later on, uh, and back up just a, sec, a little bit more in chapter 2, verse 21, Paul says, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. What's, what's, so what's going on here? What's happening with the, the Galatians? Well, what has happened is there's a group of people that have, uh, coming, have been coming into them. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm jumping ahead. Um, he, as I said, mentioned, these people received the Spirit by hearing, and they had faith. Um, and not only that, they were declared righteous, through God's grace and the death of Christ, and having that faith. Not because of any work that they had done or act that they had uh, attributed. They they were righteous because of Jesus Christ. Not because of any rules or laws that they followed, but because of his blood shed on the cross and their belief in him, they are declared righteous by God. However, there was a group of people that were coming into the church and telling them that they still needed to follow the Jewish laws and regulations, that they still needed to be circumcised, they still needed to follow the traditions and the rules and the regulations and observe the festivals and do all these things. And it was, they started, the Galatians were starting to incorporate that back into their faith life. These people were called Judaizers. And it's this reason that Paul is writing to them, and it's pretty clear that he's telling them, Stop it. Stop it. You are no longer under the law. Through Jesus Christ, you have freedom from the law. 
And that's the, it's the point. We're going to get into it a little bit deeper. But to help understand, as I mentioned, the context is important and who these people are and what was going on in the world, in the New Testament world at this time. And, and understand that culture a little bit. It helps give context because it, then it helps us to understand how they would have received this word that he has provided them, how, what understanding they would have. So, a couple things. In the New Testament world, the process of growing up was much more definite than it is with us. Um, there were definite rites of passage from childhood to manhood. And Yes, this passage and what we're going to talk about is very male-focused, and it talks about sons, because in that day, only the sons could inherit. Only the sons were heirs. Um, But Paul makes it very clear, and we'll talk about it in a minute, about how there's neither male or female in Jesus in the gospel. There's neither Greek uh, nor Jew. There's neither slave nor free man, that we're all one in Christ. So this has application to daughters as well as sons. So know that when I'm saying sons of God, um, I also mean sons and daughters of God. But in that day and age, only the sons were given this rite of passage primarily into manhood. So um, we don't have these same sort of clear-cut lines in our society today. We, people look at different things as how you become an adult, getting a driver's license, uh, becoming 18 and able to vote, uh, becoming 21 and being able to uh, drink alcohol. Uh, those are all signs. But we don't as a society have a say, okay, you are now an adult where everyone else recognizes you as an adult. But they had that in the New Testament world. In the Jewish culture, On the first Sabbath, after a boy passed his 12th birthday, his father took him to the synagogue where he became a son of the law. The father would say a benediction, Blessed be thou, O God, who has taken from me the responsibility for this boy. And the boy would then offer prayer to God, promising to obey God's commandments and bear responsibility for all his actions. There was a clear dividing line in the boy's life, and almost overnight, he became a man and recognized as such by the society. The Greeks had its custom where the 18th, 18th year of a boy uh, would participate in a festival and he would have his long flowing hair cut off and burned as an offering to the gods. And this would officially mark the day he became a man. He was accepted as an adult and expected to act like one. The Romans had a specific year, although it was approximately 16 years old, uh, where a boy would be declared a man. At a specific festival, a young man would remove the pendant that he had received as a child, which was given to him to ward off evil spirits. He would leave it on the altar. He was then taken by his parents to the forum and formally introduced to the public life as a man, as an adult. So the, the Galatians understood these traditions and understood these uh, rites of passages and what it meant when Paul uses the word son, what it meant that these people had become adults. Um, each of these cultures had specific days, specific moments when a boy became a man, and then he went from being sort of an heir in waiting to an actual heir, one who would share in the benefits of being an heir. Look again at chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Paul writes, Now I say, as long as the heir is a child, he does not differ at all from a slave, although he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the day set by his father. So also we, while we were children, were held in bondage under the elemental things of the world. But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Paul's speaking about sonship here, and sonship in ancient Rome. 
the Roman laws, under Roman law, sons were raised under the powers, father's power of absolute possession and control over a family member. The son was a servant in his father's household and was deemed as that and is seen as no, being greater, no greater than a slave until the appointed age. Therefore, the son was placed under guardians and stewards selected by the father in order to teach him the ways of the father and the proper moral conduct. Now, one of these guardians was known as a tutor. And in Galatians 3.24, Paul stated that God's children, the Jewish people, were also placed under a guardian. And that guardian was the law. The law was their guardian. Now, the New, uh, the new International Version, the NIV, uh, translates the word here as guardian, but other translations use that same word tutor in verse 25, that the law was the tutor of the Jewish people. And that this law that Paul's referred to is the law of Moses, the Mosaic laws, which included the Ten Commandments and then numerous other Levitical rules and regulations that God had given the Jewish people. Now, Paul says that that law was necessary at the time to instruct God's people in righteousness before Jesus came into the world to provide for um, the law of the, for the Spirit. So Jesus, the law was used at that time before Jesus comes to keep the, the Jews, the, Israel, the nation of Israel, on the right path as their guardian, as their tutor. And Paul says that's just like we were as guardians, use having to have guardians as, as young children. But now look at verses 25 and 26 in verse 3. But now that faith has come, this faith that they believed in, this faith in the gospel, this faith in Jesus Christ, we are no longer under a tutor, for you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Faith has moved us out from being under a tutor and has now made us sons, has helped make us into passage into adulthood. We no longer need the law as our instructor, as our guardian, as our steward. doesn't mean that this law shouldn't be followed. Don't hear me when I say this. It doesn't say the law shouldn't be followed. It's saying that the law shouldn't control your daily life. The law shouldn't be your ends or means to try to obtain righteousness. So this was God's plan, um, this, this faith. And when it talks about when the time was right, God sent Jesus into the world. Um, this was how he would redeem his children. Look again at verses 4 and 7. But when the fullness of time came, this is in um, chapter 4. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. I don't know that we truly know what that means because of how we see uh, sonship and how we see being sons and daughters in this day and age it's, and how it, what it means to become an adult and become an heir um, we don't see it the same way as they did. So, and what it means for adoption. We have our ideas of adoption. Let's go back in what it meant to them in this, this time, in this age. In ancient Rome, a father adopted a child by paying for him. And once a, child chose, once a father chose to adopt a child, there was a, a necessary ceremony that was, was uh, entered into. And the adopting father presented the legal case for transference of the person to be adopted into his own household. 
And after the ceremony was over, then the adoption was complete. Now, there were four main benefits of adoption. One, the adopted person lost all rights in his old family and gained all the rights of a legitimate son in his new family. In the most binding legal way, he received a new father. It followed, number two, it followed that he became an heir to his new father's estate. Even if other sons were afterwards born, it did not affect his rights. He was inalienably co-heir with them. Number three, in law, the old life of the adopted person was completely wiped out. For instance, all debts that the child had or the person had were canceled. He was regarded as a new person entering into a new life in which the past had nothing to do. And then number four, in the eyes of the law, he was absolutely the son of his new father. The law recognized him as such. Do you see the similarities here with adoption by God? When we have faith in Jesus Christ, we are adopted, according to Paul. What does that adoption mean? Well, number one, the price for our adoption was paid in full with the death of Jesus on the cross. It is through Christ's blood that our adoption was paid for. And as adopted sons of God, our former family, that is this world, loses its claim on us. And we lose our claim on it. We forego our claim to this world. And it has no hold on us anymore. Several times in the Gospel of John, Jesus refers to Satan as the ruler of this world. And it could be said after the fall that Satan is the father of this world, although only temporarily. So faith, through faith in Christ, we receive a new father. We are no longer under the rule of this world, but rather God is now our father. We become heirs, heirs to the kingdom of heaven. All of our debts have been canceled, and by debts we mean our sins. They've all been wiped away. Our past is forgotten. Our new father will never, ever hold our past against us. We are new creatures, and we are viewed as the sons of God, no longer as little children or slaves, but as being viewed as adults. We are automatically placed into the family of God as a son or a daughter with all the legal rights and all the privileges that come with that. Now, this last part is a little bit harder to understand because even though we are viewed as mature sons and daughters, viewed as adults, it doesn't mean that we are mature in Christ. In fact, when we enter into the family of God, we enter in as spiritual babes who need to grow in faith, to grow up in Christ, as Paul phrases it. But we are also, at the same time, adult sons and daughters who can draw on the wealth and the privileges of sonship. Many of us have entered into the family of God, but we fail to enjoy who we are in Christ. We don't act as if we've been adopted, but rather we act like we are orphans without a father. Paul tells us that we were redeemed by God from being slaves to the law through Jesus. And it's true, we might no longer be slaves to the Mosaic law that Israel followed, but we have replaced it with current laws. 
And I'm not just talking about actual statutory laws that are put into place to help society function, although they can be um, used that way. I'm talking about legalism. Legalism. That's when we rely on self-effort to either attain or maintain justification before God. I'm going to steal from Jeff Foxworthy a minute. You might be legalistic if you think you must become good enough or do enough to maintain your salvation or that when you do sin, that you cannot come before God until you have some sort of probationary period. How often do we think that we're not good enough or we've done something so bad that we can't come before God until we've paid some penance or paid some price? You might be legalistic if you elevate Christian tradition to a status on par with the teaching of Scripture. That there are things we do in the church or things we've done historically that, we, that isn't based in Scripture that we do that we equate with Scripture, that we think is just as important as Scripture. You might be legalistic if you use activity for Jesus to take the place of a relationship with Jesus. Jesus. Oftentimes, we and I have been guilty of this. We busy ourselves with things to do in the church, things that we think we're doing good for Jesus and we're doing good for the church, and all it's doing is taking the place of having a relationship with Jesus. When we do these kinds of things, when we become legalistic, when we think that our actions that we undertake are what makes us righteous before God, We trivialize what Christ did for us by dying on the cross. We trivialize the gospel. I repeat what Paul said in chapter 2, verse 21. For if righteousness comes through the law, that is, if righteousness comes from the acts that I do, the things that I, I put forth, then Christ died needlessly. There was no reason for him to go to the cross if I can bring on my own righteousness. I can do nothing to make myself righteous before God. Nothing. There is not one thing I can do to make myself righteous. It is only through Christ and what he did on the cross and my belief in him that I am declared righteous by God. Christ's righteousness is attributed to me. But when I try to be righteous through my own actions, I'm acting like I'm an orphan. I'm acting like I'm not an adopted son. I act like I did before I was adopted. But acting like an orphan goes beyond just being legalistic. It it also is when we forget who we are in Christ. We act like orphans when we allow rules and laws of society to control our actions and our thoughts. How often do we let fear and doubt and anxiety and worrying control us Define who we are and what we do. When we do that, we act like orphans. We often let pride and power and money and other th- what other people think about us to control our actions, to control what we do. And when we do that, we forget who Jesus is and we act like we're orphans. I was in a conversation with, uh, I was in a conversation recently where we were talking about sharing the gospel and um, what we did to share the gospel and how we did it. And and a person in the conversation said, um, 
it would just be so much easier if the majority of people believed it. Well, that's, that's not what it is. And, and the root of why, I questioned further, and the root of why the person said that was because they wanted to be accepted. They didn't like being thought of as an outsider. They didn't like being thought of as someone who had contrary views. They wanted other people to, they wanted a group mentality. They wanted other people to, to feel like they did. Like, my friend, you're missing the boat. You're missing the understanding of what's going on here. You're missing the fact that we're supposed to be countercultural, that we're supposed to be against the grain. If everyone believed it, it would be easy. And God never said, and Jesus never said it would be easy to follow him. But we hold on to these things in our lives, this uh, acceptance by other people or power or greed and we, we, um, uh, what things that we even think are good, uh, what we do at church, and we hold on to them like they're a lifesaver. They're going to keep us afloat and they're not. They're an anchor that sinks us away from God, that sinks us away from Jesus Christ. It is only through our identity in Christ, only because of what he has done, that we are allowed to be righteous before God. Look at verse 27 of chapter 3 again. For all of you who are baptized in Christ, and that's not a water baptism, that's a baptism by the Holy Spirit. For all of you who are baptized in Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave or free man, there is neither male or female, for we are all one in Christ. We have our identity in Jesus Christ. Our righteousness is not our righteousness, it's his righteousness. We are told to put him on like clothing, to wear Christ. And because we're able to do that through his sacrifice, God looks at us and sees his son in us. And he declares that we are righteous and we are gained access into the kingdom and access into the family. But when we start relying on ourselves, we start to take Christ off. Paul says that we need to grow up in Christ. I used this analogy one other time when I preached about the young boy who puts on his father's suit. Right? It's ill-fitting, doesn't quite look right, but he does look like his father. And as he grows and as he matures and goes up, he fills out the suit and starts to look more and more like his father. That's what God wants for us. Put on Jesus Christ. Wear Jesus Christ like clothes and you will grow up and mature in him. My friends, that's what Paul's talking about here in this letter to the Galatians, that we are adopted sons. We have become heirs to the kingdom, and it's through Jesus Christ that we do that. It all centers on him. It all focuses on him. And when we allow ourselves to be pulled off from that, to pull aside, to do the things of this world, when we allow other things to think what we do, that our actions are going to make us righteous or holy or right before God, we're fooling ourselves. We're absolutely fooling ourselves. It is only through Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. Paul's reminding the Galatians of that, and he's telling them, get those people who are telling you that you have to follow the law to be righteous out of there. God has given you, through Jesus Christ, the only thing you ever need to be righteous with him. This has meant more and more to me as I've gotten through the sonship and through um, studying Galatians um, and this, this part of it is that, what it, that we need to look at ourselves as heirs of God. I think sometimes we shortchange ourselves by that. 
Um, one of the comments they make in the sonship um, thing is that, cheer up, you're, not, you're, not, you're worse than you thought you were. Right? Cheer up, you're worse than you thought you were. But the go- cheer up, the gospel is greater than you ever dreamed it could be. And it's only through recognizing that we are worse than we thought we were. It's only worse than, than that how low we are without Christ that we can obtain that glory and be heirs to that kingdom. What an awesome thing that is. What a truly awesome thing that is. And to avail ourselves as sons, as heirs, as adults in Christ, and through, in God, we can avail ourselves of the kingdom of God. Not nearly as much now as we will later on, but we can avail ourselves of it now as heirs. And it's through the Holy Spirit who enters us, changes us, call, tells us to call out to God as Abba, Father. You know what Abba means, right? Abba is a very, um, uh, I've just completely lost my mind on what I was going to say, is a completely um, very intimate way of addressing God. It's like it's our, our equivalent is daddy, but it doesn't, it doesn't do it justice. Abba is a very intimate way to talk and address to God. And our spirit is, the spirit of God comes into us and talks with our spirit and aligns ourselves so that we can cry out to him, Father, Daddy, I am yours. My friends, that's what Paul wants from us. God wants from us, I, I want for myself and what I want for all of us to, do, to follow this. I really have no good closing for this right now, to be honest with you. Other than to say, if, if you aren't there, if you don't have a belief in who Jesus Christ is, if you don't have a belief in the gospel, you're living like an orphan. You can have a father. There is a father who is out there for you, ready to love you with a love you cannot even imagine. And you just need to have a belief in Jesus Christ of who he is and what he's done for you. And if you do have a belief in Jesus Christ, I encourage you to every day wake up and remind yourself, I am a son, I am a daughter of the living God. And I will act as such, meaning that he rules my life. What a freedom that is to know that you don't have to worry about what anybody else thinks, what anybody else says, what anybody else does. You have an identity in Christ as a son and a daughter of God. Amen.